Hello, listeners. Uh, this is a little bit different of a podcast than what I have been doing. Um, I had planned to speak to Jack Donovan this morning, but his office was broken into and he's um, set up, <clears throat> excuse me, for video and recording podcasts had effectively been destroyed with some equipment having been stolen, which is unfortunate, but Jack's a resilient guy. I'm sure he'll be fine and we'll get back to that in the future. So instead of, uh, I kind of wanted to keep myself accountable with doing one a week um, and keeping the rhythm, keeping the flow of it, practice my own speaking skills. I do struggle in this format, speaking effectively to a metal and plastic device in front of my face. I typically engage a lot better on the fly with someone sitting opposing me. So this is going to be as much of an experiment and test run as it will fucking sound like too, because, um, yeah, as explained, not used to this setting. I don't think I flourish in it, but a good little uh, practice run, I guess. So I put up a QA and a on my um, Instagram story earlier on in the week, um, asking for some questions to stimulate podcast topics for this potential circumstance exactly. <clears throat> now, you're probably thinking, what makes me special? What makes me an authority on answering people's questions? Why me? Well, that's a question I ask myself. I don't think me for any particular reason. I don't think I am special in any means or in any realm or service. Um, I may be able to break down um, topics a little bit better to their grassroots and can dive a little bit deeper or perhaps it's just the attention I pay to certain subjects and topics that means that I'm able to do that because I don't think I have like any sort of superior intellectual ability. Maybe it's just a practiced thing that I think about things a little bit deeply for whatever reason. Maybe that's just my curiosity of the world and wanting to understand people and the way things work and the way the world works, um, which has brought me to some some pretty different perspectives and philosophies on different elements of life, that which sometimes um, more infrequent than frequent people would like to know uh, my opinion. So I don't mind sharing them. Um, I guess it's, I don't know, I, I prefer deeper topics. And uh, if I can facilitate those conversations with people or they can facilitate them with me, then great. So I'm going to reel off some of the questions and answer them a little bit further in depth because there were some particularly thought-provoking questions and I do struggle to answer them um, without a lot of or without extensive forethought because I like to make my answers productive and helpful as possible. Typically that requires effectively analyzing the question, breaking the question down, sort of formulating a response. Now I spend way too much time trying to do that. I really, really do. But so instead of um, going through that process and whiteboarding certain questions out, I'm just going to try and answer them on the fly. So if I'm a little bit backwards, forwards and repeat myself or I sort of continually circle back to certain points, it's because I'm literally just, just coming up with this, uh, sorry, producing my responses on the fly. There's an example. So the first question I had in that question box was, what are the, some of my favorite hikes you've done to date um i honestly enjoy all of them um i have a map 
firm because I prefer not to use a GPS of any sort of format. I prefer to just stick it old school, have some track notes perhaps saved on my phone or and I always have a backup map. Um, like uh, I don't even know what the the brand of map is, but I've got them pinned up on my board. I'm looking at them right now. Um, and I've got a map for each overnight hike I've done because typically it's requiring passing over a certain distance it requires a degree of risk. I didn't even take an EPIRB and my grandparents who were longtime members of the Northwest Walking Club growled me for that because I think it's unnecessarily reckless. And I think of it as in terms of I prefer to put my fate in the hands of nature's will. If I am out there and I break a leg and have to drag myself six hours on my stomach in a military crawl back to my car or to the nearest help, then that's an adventure that I've effectively fallen upon and a bit of story for time to tell. If I happen to get bitten by a snake and can't get out in time or can't reach help or service or another person or uh, treated effectively with my snake bite kit and I die on that track, then so be it. So is nature's will. Some people think that's, as I said, my grandparents effectively think that's extremely reckless and unnecessarily careless. Perhaps I think we take, we accept risks every day in our daily lives, whether we're aware of it or not, just by living and breathing we're living, we are um, accepting risk in being alive. Now, obviously there's um, parts to which it becomes a trade-off. Um, is there a risk that's worth it or whatever? I try not to overthink it. I just want to fucking enjoy myself, uh, embracing it, the walk or the hike in a primitive way. And uh, I don't know, I kind of like an increased element of risk. I think it adds a, a greater degree of adventure to it. Anyway, um, I've, so I don't have any favorites. I don't have any favorites is what I'm trying to spit out. But one area that holds a special place in my heart is the walls of Jerusalem National Park. And I said the same thing about Mount Farrell because I had taken Zeus up there once before, my since past dog who died December last year. Oh, sorry, December the 2020, sorry. Um, but my uh, grandfather, my pop, Merv, he um, had told me about the walls of Jerusalem. He, now, he retired at a relatively young age. He was quite successful in his working career as an international salesman. So he and my um, grandmother, Granny, um, they've been around the world quite a bit. Now, they, well, sorry, Pop always said that the most beautiful place in the world he'd ever been, and he's been in Alaska, Canada, across majority of Asia, North America, I mean, like you name it, he's been some spectacular places as far as natural beauty and landscape is concerned. Um, he always said Dixon's kingdom in the walls of Jerusalem is one of, sorry, the most beautiful place. The uh, King Billy Pines and uh, Pencil Pines up there are just incredible. It's like another world. And I went up there on my, it must have been my 31st birthday, perhaps. I think that's correct. And um, I went up there by myself and it was just a walk-in, walk-out, which is quite a long day, but it was fine. Um, and he was right. It, it sort of lived up to its uh, to its name. I revisited the walls of Jerusalem National Park four times within a space of about four months following. Um and although I had a deep appreciation for nature prior, that sort of really, really ignited the fire. And I sort of really committed to the idea of um, spending more time in nature, cliche, um, 
and I kind of have done so. I've exactly followed through with that, and I love it. And I find that if I go extended periods without doing so, I start to get a little more impatient. I get a little more angry. I get a little more antsy. Um, it's as if my my living spirit needs that subtraction, needs that time away from anything unnatural. It needs to be exposed to fractals. And, and there's an interesting theory on fractals that I won't elaborate on because I'll butcher it like buggery. But um, that is effectively the, the space in which we have evolved and grown in as uh, humans who stand on two feet. I can't think of the scientific reference. Um, so it's, it only makes sense that it would speak to our, to our souls, to our spirit. And, uh, we find comfort and recalibration in that setting. So wars of Jerusalem, definitely up there. Um, I've got stories from each hike cause something has gone wrong for every single one. It hasn't destroyed them for me at all. If anything, it's made more of an adventure, a little bit more exciting, a little more dangerous, a little bit more reckless. Um, but I won't elaborate on that too much. Question two, uh, thoughts on conjugate conjugate, sorry, training method. But look, and as I said, I don't have a lot of, I said on my Instagram story, sorry, I don't have a lot of uh, experience with this method firsthand. I've only, you know, I've seen a doc on Netflix about it. I've seen various um, bits of information from Louis Simmons on social media and other guys who have trained under him. I'm like, although I consider myself a professional in the strength game or the game of strength, I should say, um, I definitely am not an authority on the conjugate method. What it does seem to me, it was effective in terms of how frequently they were maxing out, how hard they were training consistently, incorporating speed uh, in complex barbell compound movements, incorporating bands and chains. I understand the theory and application. I also understand that the risks associated with it in terms of the increased risk of injury from working so hard all the time, the increased demand on uh, recovery from working so hard consistently all the time. Hence, one of the reasons my comment for being fucking juiced to the gills, because unless you've got some sort of modified method for the conjugate method, uh, which someone did inbox me and speak to me about, um, you're going to be doing very, very well to be able to recover from it or remain injury free. Now, that's another association I found with that program from what little bits I've seen is the guys doing it were typically injured quite regularly. Now that could have been because they were simply moving in human weights quite frequently. Or was it because they didn't allow enough recovery time? There's so many, it could have been nutrition. It could have been prehistory. I mean, like there are so many variables that make it very, very hard to have, uh, have a, an informed opinion. So I'd rather keep mine a little bit reserved than just make observations and and pro provide an opinion based on those small insights rather than as a whole picture. Um, and as it's been said numerous times before, most training methods will provide some form of return or another if you stick to them. A lot of them carry risk versus reward. Um, a lot of them are reckless, but, you know, let's say... Um, in the same way that, um, oh, I can't even remember the, what it's called, um, small off, small off training. Let's say the frequency is so high, the volume is so high of one particular movement, or I haven't seen the, the three lift version of small off. Um, but if you get through uns unscathed, the returns are quite significant. 
So quite often it's a risk versus reward situation with how much volume and sort of understanding your own body to the degree that, um, you know, oh, okay, I can get away with this or this will work for me based on what I can recover from, based on individual, individual genetics and all the other variables and how well you have them under control. Uh, question three, are you the mountain god? Running joke between my girlfriend and her best friend that um, she constantly calls me mountain god because I obviously enjoy being up on mountains and I I take photos in almost like a, um, and this is not like, I don't, there's no elements of intentional implication of divination or anything silly like that. But I try and like capture the light in clever ways. I try and uh, put the the moment on a pedestal. And I've, I've talked about capturing the moment previously in another Instagram post in uh, brief context. But um, it's sort of from an outsider's perspective, it looks like some form of elation of myself. And that's okay. You can judge it however you choose to. Uh, but that's where the reference Mountain God came from. And uh, it's kind of a running joke. So hilarious story. You're funny. Um, next question. What is the first simple thing a man can do to make him less reliant on others slash the system? Now, this one stuck me. I struggled to put it in a simplified context. I struggled to really um, comprehend what maybe classes a simple thing. Um that anyone can do to be less reliant on other people in the system. And there's obviously two divisions to that also, that are we worried about less reliance on other people? Are we less reliance on the system or as an entirety? So there's numerous ways you can look at that question. Now, I quickly elaborated way too much and dug way too deep in it, but that's that's the purpose of this conversation right now, conversation with myself. So becoming reliant effectively, I mean, Making sure being reliant is obviously in a sense of self-reliant is being able to source things off your own means, methods, skill, etc. Um, very something that's hard to do in modern society. So you could say, what do we need in order to survive? And therefore we can determine what elements we can control self-reliance. So let's say a source of food, shelter, water, all the basics to survive rather than like looking in any sort of elaborative sense of like, oh, I need my own power source to charge my phone and therefore become self-reliant. In the very, very simple context, um, sourcing those elements that provide life as if um, you're out in the bush and one of the first things you look for is shelter, source of water, um, methods of fire and then food. So I looked at it from that point of view. And then I sort of thought, well, hang on, every element, regardless of which one you prioritize, depending on who, uh, what your needs are, um, what your most important needs are, was that all of them require some degree of physical health, um, some competency, some competent level of physical health, meaning that you can even get to a point where you can obtain these, these levels of self-sufficiency. So I think everything um, begins at having a good physical foundation, having strong and reliable physical health. That means you can effectively face daily challenges or any elements of um, potential reliance. Now, you could look at that in so many ways, so many different ways. And I could seriously sit here and break down every element and repeat myself 12 times and circle back. And rather than do that and bore you and myself trying to think myself silly about it, 
being self-reliant, self-sufficient starts with being physically independent, having physical ability and solid physical health that only requires the basics to maintain. So as in, I'm in great physical shape, but I need steroids to support my strength. I'm in great physical shape, but I need certain medications to sustain my life. And now I'm not trying to objectify anyone that requires either of those, like diabetics require insulin to survive. And I'm, I sympathize with that certain kinds of diabetics. Sorry. Um, that's, but that's just, so does that question then doesn't pertain to them because that's not the simplest thing that they can do to become self-reliant because it's not simple for them. They need, um, constant medication to sustain life. So they're, um, their simplest thing they can do to become self-reliant may be something else. It's contextual in regards to the individual when you start talking about medical dependencies. And again, I could I could fucking elaborate, but I'll sit here and dribble shit for the next hour if I do that. Next question. What's one of your favorite moments in competition? Strongman, powerlifting, or boxing? Um, as I mentioned in an Instagram story, hitting my first 700 kilo total was pretty big. I had previously fell short of it two or three times prior um, due to poor preparation phases from one, due to one reason or another. Typically, my, excuse me, my um, emotional physical input, input due to certain circumstances, not making excuses were not ideal. Um, so that meant I fell short of that 700 a couple of times. I was coached by Will Crozier there at one stage. who got me very, very close, but ultimately the responsibility fell on me for not reaching it um so hitting that at portside barbell in devonport was pretty significant for me i kind of felt as though that was a respectable total enough that um would carry reputable um carry a degree of reputation moving forward as a strength coach i mean in any profession if you haven't obtained a certain level certain contingent of the population is going to look at you as less credible that's just reality i mean if i was a driving instructor uh, and I'm trying to teach future Formula One drivers. If I hadn't obtained a certain level of professional um, achievement in my personal career, then a contingent of potential client or potential athlete or whatever the case is, is going to look at me and think, well, you have less credibility because you haven't been here yourself. Now, I don't even, 700 kilos, I wouldn't even class that as elite. I would class it as good. And that was sufficient enough for me. And I knew, knew that for the majority of people would look at that and go, this guy's obviously developed a respectable level of strength to which I could potentially put my trust in him in, in coaching me to get stronger or in powerlifting or strongman or anything, despite what the individual's um, qualifications, what their methods, what their, their care, the attention time that they invest in individuals. That's the first point people are going to judge upon. Now, obviously, there was personal elements too in terms of just hitting a point of satisfaction with being content and where my strength was at based on how many years I've done strength training um, or did strength training, sorry. Um, 700 kilos, nice rounded. I mean, no, I didn't even necessarily put my best lift, lift forward. I did the best competition squat I'd ever done, which was 252, which in comparison to my bench and deadlift was kind of shit. Um, and that's probably a reflection on how much I disliked squats at the time. Um, but that was still a big achievement for me. And at the time in my life too, I was struggling through a few uh, mental things, circumstances I created on my own. I'd made my life a little bit hard in some elements. 
And I was really overcoming that, uh, especially that weekend. I had some significant advances in terms of developing my own uh, psychology, mentality, and, and a whole new level of spirituality, which I won't delve into. Um, so that kind of topped it all off. And uh, by the end of the weekend, I had a, I kind of had a new outlook on life. And the 700 kilo total was just a, a facilitator in that. Strongman, I've like not hit any sort of really high milestones. I was got really dead after three or four, how many hats on the wall? Four strongman hats on the wall. After four strongman competitions in Tasmania, I wanted to step it up. Um, so I enlisted the help of um, Tyson Morrissey from Strong Geelong. He was coaching me and then COVID hit. Like just as I was getting serious about getting into the strongman game and I'd planned a competition in Victoria, um, like a state level one where the, the competition was going to be a little bit harder. Um, COVID hit and it kind of threw my motivation into disarray because there wasn't the same support network. I knew I was going to be out of travel to Victoria. So I came, became, I mean, I could have advanced forward regardless. I could have over worked through the circumstances, but my love for strongman was not that great that it was going to override everything. So I effectively chucked it in at that point and just move forward, I think, with hypertrophy training at the time. And actually have some, it's probably the most muscular I've ever been was at the start of the whole COVID nonsense in March 2020, April 2020. I would be about April, actually, maybe June. Uh, probably the most muscular and lean, not the most lean, but the most lean I've been at that muscular at the time. I've got some cool photos I'll be able to look back on one day and be like, oh, cool. Got a little bit juicy and a little bit big and um, unfortunately didn't get to fulfill my destiny with Strongman, but that's okay because that doesn't necessarily define me and I'm all right with that. Uh, in terms of boxing, I've only had one amateur fight um, and that was a pretty big deal for me because the training was obviously significantly different to anything um, weightlifting or strongman powerlifting. Um, and the coaches I had, really, really good supportive guys, really knowledgeable guys at O'Callaghan's Boxing Club. Um, I think Gavin, head coach, a little bit, I mean, from what I've seen, old school in his methods, which I um, don't criticize. Everyone has their own means and methods, and um, which meant a lot of hard sparring leading up to the fight which was mentally really, really draining because I was getting my ass kicked. And that's okay because it's going to uh, – oh, at the time, I saw it in terms of if I can take a punch, at least that's going to buy me respect. Even if I get my ass kicked, that's okay. I'll take be proud of the fact that I can take an ass whooping. And I've kind of always been proud of the fact that I can take an ass whooping because I've taken many. Um, so a lot of hard sparring from some really tough local guys. Um as I was still sort of developing my skills and stuff. and um, But I had a heap of people come and watch the the fight because it was a, a um, series of fights that night in Penguin. Um, a heap of friends and family came and watched, which was really, really cool. So I had a huge support network. They're all really loud. And I won uh, on TKO in third round. Um, he kind of wasn't – the guy I was fighting wasn't protecting himself very well. He didn't have his hands up a lot. So it was kind of like open slather, and I wasn't putting great combos together. It was just like, and Gab said to me, just one, two, stick to the basics, stick to the basics. And I was throwing big, shitty haymakers. So I was missing quite a bit, but I was connecting enough. And there was a couple of times where I was thinking, this guy's like not protecting himself at all. I'm just going to keep throwing fucking one, twos. And Gary, who was the uh, ref, he's going to stop it at some stage, to which he did. And thank fuck he did, because I was exhausted by the end of it. Uh, three by two minute rounds. I mean, there's not much I can't sort of sustain a respectable level of output for two minutes, but. 
you bring in nerves, adrenaline, um, you know, the fact that you're running at a high cardiac output capacity and trying to express power at the same time, that's fucking exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. Um, but that was a pretty big achievement. I remember leaving the, the stadium and I jumped in my car and I was driving myself home. Uh, a good friend Jeb was coming to have a drink with me afterwards to celebrate. And I grabbed the steering wheel and I was just like, fucking yes! I was uh, happy with the result and I was happy that that uh, portion of training was over because um, it was fucking tough. It was mentally some of the toughest training I'd done. And there are some high-level boxes, hypothetically, let's assume one's listening to this right now, and they're probably going, you didn't even scrape the surface, pal. And look, they're, they're exactly right. Um, and I don't know if it was because I didn't give myself the time to adapt to the training. I don't know if, because uh, I sort of threw myself head first and was thrown head first into some hard stuff um, that I didn't sort of like get that build up to it or maybe I'm just not cut out for it. That's, that's an okay, that's okay too. But uh, so I, I've had a huge, whole newfound level of respect for boxers, um, especially MMA guys after understanding how complex of a skilled sport boxing is. When you bring in jujitsu and kickboxing, wrestling and all the other elements that in, uh, incorporated in MMA, oh man, did I develop a whole new level of respect for them. I still have ambition one day, fuck knows when, to get in an MMA cage just at least once for the experience I think would be incredible. But my jiu-jitsu needs a hell of a lot of work and I haven't thrown kicks for a long time and they weren't fucking great then. So there'd have to be a lot of prep time going into that. Uh, next question. This was more of a comment from a friend of mine. I think he was trying to be funny. Said, take me here because the screenshot was me sitting up near Mount Eliza, the ridge connecting Mount Eliza to Mount Anne. Take me here so along the way you can broaden my mind and I can sit next to you in peace. Now, he may have been very well serious. I don't know. Um, it made me laugh. And look, the elements, sorry, elements, times like that, they are really, really peaceful. You hit, especially in solitude, you hit a whole new level of of quiet because you can't hear anything unnatural. You can't see anything unnatural. You know you're entirely alone in the absolute raw wild. And it's at first it feels very unsafe. It's a little bit scary. Um, and the more time you spend in it, the more it becomes relaxing, the more it becomes more safe. But the more it becomes, the more you, the more it really, really speaks to you that there's something, something in those circumstances that is just fucking right and good. Um, maybe, I mean, there are so many different so many different facets to that. Maybe it's just because in modern society we're constantly exposed to fabricated light, sounds, noises. Maybe it's just time. We're always around people typically. Maybe it's being away from those things. Maybe just being away from car noise. Whatever it is, it's something about it really, really psychologically settles you. Once you get over the initial fear of being that alone, it's very, very settling and it becomes very comforting. And I look at it now as in, oh, isn't that sort of scary being that far alone and so far away from people? And what if some things go wrong? Honestly, it feels like the safest place ever. Um, it feels safe because I know that there's, and I don't live under the immediate threat of danger, but there's no impending danger. There's no phone calls. There's no messages. There's no no elements of unpredictability that are out of my control aside from the weather but typically I'm prepared for it. I wrote a um, something about it once before when I was speaking to my girlfriend about it 
some time ago. It was over a year ago now. Um, and off the top of my head, this is kind of what I wrote to sort of describe how it works. Um, and this will make absolutely no sense reading it off a piece of paper now, but given the context of the conversation, it did. But this is what I said. Uh, I think it's due to separation from everything unnatural. I can tap into my subconscious. I can hear my thought processes. I'm away from anything that feels unsafe or unclear. It's complete clarity, complete safety. I understand everything out here, the way of nature, of the world. Anything and everything becomes, sorry, anything and everything spiritual becomes clear. That is the environment we were designed to live in. My soul knows it and it thrives in that setting. The human subconscious knows that's our natural state and there will be no natural clarity without that. From there, it's a state of mind, being open to accept what feels like a simple truth in life. I found it because I had to. At the time, it was do or die. Somehow I knew what I had to do and where I had to go. As I said, it's like it's taken quite out of context now I'm talking about it now, but and it's very vague, but I cannot describe it without you having experienced it. And I, that's one of the reasons I take so many photos and that sort of thing out. And, well, not it's not really that many photos. It probably seems like it, but I take some photos out there because it's, it's a moment, it's an experience I want to give to people because I want them to find it because it was a big part in me at the time when I first discovered it, um, rehabilitating my psychology that was in the absolute shitter. Um, due to so many fucking elements that would take me another hour to talk about. Um, so next question, what age slash point in life did you change the most in the shortest time frame, good or bad? I've gone through endless amounts of changes in my life. And I think that's normal for someone who does seek growth. They seek further learning. They seek further understanding of themselves. You're going to grow and you're going to change. That is inevitable. Um, oh, to, I'll try and break it down and try not get too personal because I don't like to speak about things too close to the heart. But um, I ended a long-term relationship in what would have been, I think, March 2019 and kind of went on a downhill spiral from there uh, psychologically. Um I hit a point at the end of December, uh, what must have been 2019, um, I realized I was just digging myself. I'd come to this realization. I dug myself a shocking hole in regards to the relationships I had, in regards to some of the friendships I had. Um, I honestly like, and I hate using this fucking term, but to a degree, I was toxic. Uh, I hate to use that term. I was short with people. I was frustrated. Um constantly angry i had this animosity toward the world that i wanted to change and i became aware of it i became self-aware at this this point i'd had some help from people developing my self-awareness um so what do you do when you become self-aware you realize that you're in control of creating change so i um sat down with myself and said all right that's it i'm going to change now. i'm going to change my attitude i'm going to change my interactions with people i'm going to be more positive i'm trying to be more more of a um uh, a shining light rather than a dark fucking cloud this was facilitated partly due to people i admire as well and coming back to jack donovan he regularly speaks about um being solar like trying to be a beacon of light 
uh, and strength and energy. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to be someone that I could effectively be proud of and, and um, rebuild what um, self-respect I had because I'd lost a fucking lot by that point. I'd probably lost a lot from a lot of other people at the same time due to some poor decision-making. Um, so from there, it was a long, long rebuilding process in changing my habits, changing how I interacted with people, and it didn't happen overnight. In order to change my mentality, my habits, behaviours, um, some little addictions I had, uh, it took a long time. And I don't think I really completed that process until I basically completely self-destructed. Um, I wouldn't look, and some people close to me may disagree. I wouldn't say I was entirely suicidal. I was obviously quite depressed. Um, you wouldn't have known it. And I think that's, that's pretty typical of a lot of people, uh, going through mentally tough times. Um, but I discovered some things about myself. I had known some things from my childhood, a few other elements that I had to face, I had to effectively, spiritually and physically, uh, psychologically self-destruct. And from that destruction, I was able to rebuild myself. And this was this had come around by the time of what must have been, um, no, December, sorry, sorry. This started in December 2019, and I kind of finished that process at the end of September when I hit that 700 kilo total, um, or a little bit after in 2020 so i went through this whole process throughout the course of that 10 months or whatever really it ended up quite being a two-year period but that was my that were the most notable starts and finishes on which i rebuilt myself and i've done everything i possibly could since that point to remain true to my morals my ethics my values um living entirely honestly i listened to a podcast with matt fraser um, he was on Ryan Mickler's podcast. Matt Fraser is a very successful CrossFit champion. Um, and at the end of the interview, Ryan Mickler said to Matt Fraser, what does it mean to be a man? And Matt Fraser effectively said, to me, it means being absolutely honest, honest with yourself, honest with your family, honest with your friends, um, which leads to elements of self-awareness it means certain consequences of your life but there is a huge amount of freedom in being entirely honest especially with yourself and i hit that point and i've not looked back i've felt better since um i'm in the best frame of mind i've ever been in my life i'm in the best physical shape i've ever been in my life not in terms of the most muscular i'm talking about the best health and performance based um so yeah pretty long pretty long period of or oh, pretty long transitory so period there but what was necessary and i think a lot of guys that whether they realize it or not it's necessary for them to go through a similar process of complete destruction in order to rebuild themselves into who they want to be the picture of themselves that they want to be uh revisit everything they believe about themselves and develop entire self-awareness so they can live consciously and live with intent and um live purposely you know there's so many young guys and i'm isolating this to young men because it's what i know um who are depressed and confused and sad and they don't really understand fucking why and i think it's partly because we live in a sick society um we don't have any drive we don't have any uh, strong cultural morality we don't have like strong ethical goals that we can obtain or physical goals that we can challenge ourselves with. We need struggle to flourish. We need victories. We need 
fucking struggle. We've always had struggle as evolutionary beings. And young men are just not finding that. So they're, they're spiritually fucking lost. And that's a big part of what this, um, what I'll call, for lack of a better term, online manosphere is about is helping guiding these young guys and that's something i try to do with social media a little bit is offer little bits of advice to incite some self-investigation in and primarily young men i mean great if if females find it beneficial too but like i said i'm sticking to what i believe i know in order to them to to better themselves and i think i'd like to get into something in the future which like a some field or some uh, some sort of controlled uh, circumstance or setting in which I can reach more young men and help them through this process and find themselves and live better lives and not live unhappy and depressed and sad because I don't know if anyone who's listening has seen the statistics regarding suicides in young men, but they're um, quite shocking. And I think there needs to be a big cultural shift in young men and everything about current society. And as I said, it's a sick society currently, in my opinion. Um, it's telling us that being a young man and having certain emotions is bad and you should be this. And it goes all, majority of what they're teaching goes against the fundamentals of what it means to be a man and what it means to be satisfied in life as a man. Now, that was the kind of conversation I want to delve in with Jack, which I will do in the future, so I'm not going to elaborate too much on that now. But stay with me because in the future we'll reach it. Uh, next question. How were you? When, how old were you when you started taking fitness slash lifestyle seriously? Is 31 too late? I sort of always trained, dabbled in training from when I was about 21. Um, maybe dicked around in the gym a little bit sooner, but not any sort of degree of regularity, not even once a week kind of regularity. Um, I got really serious when I moved back from Melbourne and, and I've told this story a few times. I had a group of friends who had all been training pretty hard in the gym the last couple of or year or two prior or I'd lived in another town and then I'd moved to Victoria and I came back and they're all fucking big and I felt very inferior. And this is actually a blessing because it forced me to take action and better myself physically. So I started training hard, kind of realized that I, I liked the process a little bit. I really like seeing the visual change noticed I was gaining muscles, had a few people notice that I was gaining muscle, which was great, more attention from the girls at the time, which is fantastic, of course. So I became a little bit obsessive after that point. It's my 24th birthday, sorry. I just started seeing um, my current partner now, and um, she didn't see it sticking out, but here we are. <laughs> uh, I started going five days a week. I started eating with more intent, increased the protein. I'd always trained hard. Anytime I was in the gym, I was always training hard. But I tried to be a little bit more structured in terms of my training approach, thanks to some help from guys like Daniel Woodbury and James Garwood and uh, Aaron Bruce specifically as well, helped get me in the right direction. Um, so 24 years old, I started to really take it seriously. And honestly, I've never looked back. It's There have been parts, times in my life in which training, I became too obsessed and it forced it didn't force, sorry, I made the decision to compromise other elements of my life, to which I look back as partly regretful, but um, I think you sometimes have to push things to the edge in order to find out where the balance point could be, and this doesn't just pertain to physical training. Sometimes you've just got to hit breaking point to find out where the edge really is uh, and where the balance point is in terms of maintaining healthy and functional lifestyle. Um, like I started, I didn't start, well, 
as soon as we we're having a conversation, I started taking steroids when I was 29, I think, perhaps 28. Um, so I'd been lifting for four or five years prior. I'm not advocating for that whatsoever. Honestly, I didn't really need to at the time. I thought I did. I kind of just wanted to more than anything else. Um, and that was that was quite different. I didn't like abuse by any means. Um, was relatively low dose what I did take. I had professional advice, which is the most important thing. I did have some professional help. I was shown um, how to do it all properly, clean in uh, sorry hygienically, and um, cycled proper lengths and so on, and developed a degree of education around it. Obviously, I don't have a degree of biochemistry or uh, human biology hanging on my wall. But based on what data they do have in using uh, testosterone at this stage, um, I had done my research and I had, had, as I said, professional advice, which helped dramatically. So, and by no means am I advocating for that. Majority of people who do it, it's like the last fucking box. If you're thinking about that, you want to make sure you're fucking training. Um, you've got a, a very effective ideally coached, effective training routine, you're nailing sleep, you're nailing caloric intake and tracking, you're nailing water, your stress is low, you've got a goal that justifies um, potentially harming your body that way or justifies the cost even because it's not cheap. There's a lot of young guys who just jump on it because they want a quick return in regards to aesthetic physique and it's a little bit reckless but, oh yeah, we've all been reckless once as young men. I'm not advocating it, and anyone who tells me is young guy they're taking it, I ask some simple questions, and quite often my advice ends in, I professionally and personally think that's a bad idea. I wouldn't be doing it until you know this, 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 and this. It's like it's like worrying about, I can't even think of a clever analogy for it, but it's the last fucking box, and even then, it's one you should think about hard. That kind of went on a bit of a different tangent, but here we are. <clears throat> Next question. As a young guy trying to find his purpose in life, have you found your purpose in life? If so, how do you find it? <sighs> once upon a time, and this is from a young guy I know, once upon a time I advocated the idea of purpose because I believed I had found it. I thought my purpose was to help people advance them for themselves physically and it and it bleed out into every other facet of their life, their uh you know, their emotional state improves, their psychology, sorry, not their psychology, their um, happiness improves, you know, their discipline improves, all other facets of life get better um, when you are in physical control of your life because it's something that you can control regardless of circumstances. I thought that was my purpose. Now, as I said, people grow, people change, their priorities change, um, everything changes. And purpose, to, to break it down, for me, it has connotations of servitude, like purpose as if you are a usable element in some sort of fucking machine. And I didn't like that because, I mean, if we break it right down to grassroots, do humans as a whole not individually have a purpose? Well, we're another animal in the ecosystem. We have a purpose. We exist in that ecosystem circle. Excuse me. Our purpose is to merely exist, reproduce, and help maintain balance. We broke free from that chain thousands of years ago, thank you to the agricultural revolution, and then even more so through the period of the industrial revolution. So we're so far from our 
the organic roots of our purpose at this stage. And we've got these delusions as if like there's some predestined idea of what our life is supposed to be as if the great divine forces of the world have this higher priority for each individual life. And you can tell yourself that. And if, if it can drive you to be the best that you can be, that is fantastic. But um, I think if you just simply live with purpose, with intent, you'll find what that is supposed to be anyway. If you're self-aware, you're conscious in your decision-making, then, excuse me, you will find your purpose. You will fall into your purpose, whether you realize that you're living it or not. Even if you're not aware of it, that you're in your potential purpose, as if it's some preordained thing, then you're still going to be living the best life that you possibly can. If that isn't a purpose for those, uh, and again, if, it, if we're sticking with the idea that it's... Um, has elements of servitude, then you're serving those around you because you're being the best version of yourself. And that typically helps other people through some means or another. Now, if you don't develop self-awareness and you don't live with intent and you don't live with purpose as best as you can, the best, the best that you know how, you simply evolve to become another, quote, cog in the economic wheel. And that becomes your purpose. You become a fucking money-generating machine for transnational corporations without getting all conspiracy theory sounding, even though it's not conspiracy theories based at all, you become another cog in the economic wheel for other people to exploit the naivety of your own life. And I think that's that's a shame that people find themselves there. Well, they don't find themselves at all if they're there. Maybe other people find them there um, through lack of, maybe it's just someone not stimulating any sort of, self-investigation so they can develop self-awareness and on that point i think everything starts with self-awareness as i discussed earlier about um the simplest thing anyone can do to kill dependence the simplest thing anyone can do to become whole is develop self-awareness or the first thing that anyone can do to go down the path of self-improvement is develop self-awareness because without that you have no fucking compass whatsoever in any means and you may disagree with that. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, next question. Ever thought about running an ultramarathon? Um, I have. Uh, do I think I'm cut out for it? Possibly not. Would I like to do it to say for the sake of experience and trying something different? Absolutely. I think it would be the greatest physical test I could ever undertake. But I kind of want to do a BJJ comp first and uh, really commit to training that for a while. Maybe take combat sports a little further despite the fact i'm kind of past my potential peak in terms of age for it i can still always improve the age i am now um and i kind of want to maybe try and conquer my subtle fear of heights a little further with a bit more rock and mountain climbing um and then maybe i'll look at ultras down the track in a few years to come but i don't have any immediate desire to do that not by any means Next question, do you use all parts of the animals you hunt? Now, this could stimulate quite a lengthy philosophical thought process. And I, I've i tangled with this idea, um, this philosophical idea of, of life eating life for so long. And it, the conversation goes so many ways in regards to whether it's justified, whether the means is justified, whether we really need to eat meat, whether we need to take the animal's life ourselves. 
And look, and I'm class myself as an authority on this subject because I was a slaughterman, because I was a butcher, and I've been a shooter and hunter. Um, so I think I have an opinion that's worthy. Now, I think you're you're doing not only the animal, but the whole idea of the ecosystem a disservice if you don't try and utilize as much of the animal that is practically possible what i mean is you if you're killing it for food use all of the food i think it's potentially getting excessive to the point of well i'm gonna try and use its fur for something or its skin for something and if you can fucking props to you but i don't have the skills to do so and even if i developed the skills would i have the practical use to do so probably not um there's no means in which I, if I, I wish i found a use and i could use it, i think that would only further respect uh sorry pay further respect to the animal that has given its life unwillingly uh to sustain my own i think it's uh, the best thing we do i think utilizing death otherwise is is just effectively um slaughter it's 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 animal murder if you're not using it for a purpose and that's i think that's part of the ecosystem's major design is life eating life you can deny that as much as you want and you can say that it's not necessary these days in modern life hey maybe it's not but not eating meat comes with consequences of death too whether you're aware of it and i'm not going to regurgitate what's been said multiple times before about wide-scale agricultural farming um oh sorry the impact of hypothetical scenarios regarding whole cultures going purely vegan and the consequences it have on the local um, ecology regarding the small animals, uh, insects and other types of fauna that potentially suffer as a consequence. I'm not a fucking um, environmental scientist, so I can't quote stats and numbers or anything, but the consequences will be more dramatic than I think people are giving credit for. Now, if we're not using more um, non-animal sources of food, then they're going to be more synthetic. And the last thing we need as human beings right now is anything more fabricated or more synthesized or more fucking, just fucking with the natural processes of life any more than we already have. I think returning to a more natural way of life is, is the answer whether it's economically viable for the Western world to do so now or not, that's effectively what I'm trying to do. And yet again, another topic I could elaborate on. But in short, yeah, I try and use all the parts that is practical of the animals that I hunt and will continue to do so for the rest of my life. If I can't use it, I will not kill it. I think only other circumstances are potentially justified. And I had this conversation with a fellow shooter the other week is that um, if we create the circumstances in which animals get to a pest-sized population, then we have a, an ethical responsibility to help maintain that balance in the ecosystem, in which case killing an animal uh, becomes widely, hugely impractical to utilise animals that we kill that are in plague proportions. Bennett's wallaby, for example. Now, yeah, I know there are starving people in the world, but there is no practical way to get those dead wallabies over to starving people in the world. There's no practical way to skin every one of those wallabies before they uh, rot away to every starving dog in Tasmania. People have these wishful ideas like, oh, Elon Musk could um, solve world hunger immediately with a push of a button with his 
uh, mass accumulation of wealth. Well, if it was that, it's not that simple. The logistics, the the what's required to get certain elements from A to B in a productive way that actually directly helps people is not that simple. It's just naive to assume that problems of the world can be resolved that easily. I don't even know why I'm going down that fucking path because that's a whole other conversation again. Now, another question, and we're coming up on an hour now, so I think we'll make this the last one. Thoughts on relationship between mind, body, spirit, and wealth. A fucking expansive question. I mean, are we talking about the relationship between mind and wealth or body and wealth and spirit and wealth because they're all individual conversations on their own. Um, and acquisition of wealth is something that I've tangled with into my philosophy on not necessarily the obtaining a level of comfortable wealth, not that I'm wealthy by any means, but I, I live comfortable. Um, look, every day people are compromising through certain professions, they're compromising their bodies for wealth. There are certain professions that compromise their mind for wealth. There are certain, a lot of professions that compromise their human spirit for the sake of wealth. If you can find harmony between all three in the first place and then find further harmony with the means of wealth acquisition that doesn't compromise your mind, your body, and your spirit, as I said in, in the Instagram story post, then you are wealthy. And wealth, wealth is not... Uh, objective it's subjective so each to their own in regards to what defines wealth i don't emphasize uh put a priority on a number in the bank i don't put a priority on my income in terms of being a certain number i put a priority on those things my mind body and spirit and that i consider myself wealthy because i've got food in the fridge um you know i've got a loving partner i've got supportive family so I consider myself wealthy. I don't need a fucking mansion. And I know those who are wealthy, for example, will say that wealth buys you freedom. Well, that's fantastic, but there's typically a compromise that comes with that. You're going to have to go through, generally speaking, uh, times where you're going to have to compromise your mind, body, and spirit to get to that point which wealth is going to be allow, sorry, going to allow for freedom. And there are guys who have done great on Bitcoin. They're, there's an example that they haven't potentially had to compromise much, but they've taken huge amounts of risk. Now, there are guys who have taken that risk and not come out so well at the other side. So then the chances are they've compromised their mind and spirit in trying to acquire that wealth. So there's always a trade-off in that. Unless you get very lucky or you inherit something, and in my opinion, you're potentially spiritually corrupt by inheriting wealth because are your ethics and values surrounding money and its use or its actual value going to be there if it has been handed you to some degree? So that conversation... One, you'd have to define what the individual deems is wealthy. You'd have to define what they consider a good state of mind, body, and spirit. But for me, I consider myself wealthy because I'm happy in my mind, I'm happy in my body, and I'm happy in spirit as, and I, I consider myself spiritual um, as best as possible. Oh, sorry. I'm in as good of a state as I can possibly be, I believe. So I consider myself wealthy. I don't have to second guess where my next meal is coming from i can have a meal out if i choose to without having to double check the budget i think that's a pretty good position i mean i don't have a brand new car in the driveway i'm not going on international holidays um we don't have a giant tv on the wall not that that would be a desire anyway but um i still consider myself wealthy so as i said we're coming up on an hour there i will do another q a in the future and um if you're listening to this think about some questions um 
not even that you would like my opinion on. Think about some questions that you would like to uh, answer for yourself. Use this as a catalyst for a little self-investigation. The topics especially we've covered, I've tried to be to a degree insightful, but effectively just answered them honestly and the, as they come to my mind. Um, and I encourage other people to do the same because I don't believe people put enough time and energy into simply pondering these topics of life that are important. And I reckon, I think that's a symptom of modern life in terms of we're constantly surrounded by distractions. If we've got a moment to think, we pick up our phones. We don't give ourselves a moment to think because we're looking at the telly. We don't give ourselves a moment to think because we're so fucking busy dealing with all our elements of life. And that's another, I'll come back to, even though I've mentioned it, I don't know how many times, being in solitude in the wild. That will give you time to think like no other. Hence, what again, why I promote that so heavily. And partly for the fact of, um, I think it's important to conserve what we have here, especially in Tasmania, in terms of the natural wildlife. So the more people that fall in love with it, the higher contingent of the population there is to protect it. Because there's much more than just some fucking trees, grass and animals out there. There is, um, and if you haven't found it previously, there is yourself. You'll find yourself out there, ironically enough. And that's what I'm encouraging. That's effectively what I'm encouraging. So that's me signing off. Thanks for listening, guys. If you um, if you like this hour-long conversation with myself, then uh, like it, share it, um, tag me in it, and... Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Cheers.